Welcome back, it's time for Customers Who Click. In today's episode, I'm welcoming Ben Negendorf, a renowned dropshipping expert. Yes, dropshipping, a bit of a controversial topic. He's going to be sharing his tried and tested ways of getting customers to keep clicking, and we'll also be discussing different techniques involved between high and low ticket offers in dropshipping. Are there any distinctions between dropshipping and e-commerce? Is dropshipping risk-free? How can you stand out in the market and get customers to choose you over Amazon? We'll cover all of that in today's episode. Ben is the co-founder of Dropship Breakthrough. And without any further ado, let's get him on. Hi, Ben. Thanks for joining me. Would you mind just giving us a quick intro about yourself, your your background, and how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, my name is Ben Kanagendorf. Most people call me BK. That, na- that last name's a bear. And I started my e-commerce journey, high-ticket dropshipping. I got pretty uh, pretty good at it. It's kind of weird to say you're one of the best in the world, but uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of amazing things, and now I teach that business model. And so uh, I've been all over the place, man, but it all started for me working in a Walmart distribution center. I, I just, I, I was lost, man. I, I didn't know where where I wanted to go in my life. I had made it to first shift, which was the holy grail of that building. And I got there and everyone was dead inside. And so like, that was the impetus for me to be like, I got to get the hell out of here. I got to do something with my life. And that's where everything kind of began for me, man, at 29 years old. Awesome. So yeah, how do you get customers clicking? Yeah, for me, it's I do high ticket dropshipping, right? I actually sell some other products as well, and we can get into that if you'd like to. But for high ticket dropshipping, the way you get customers clicking is uh, Google Ads and SEO, like uh, keywords. I see everything through a keyword lens, and uh, keywords make my nerdy little heart smile. So if you want to talk SEO or jam on Google Ads, that's how I get customers clicking. And to me, that's a fun game to play. Yeah, we can definitely get into that. But let's talk about just drop dropshipping generally. I think if you could give us your explanation of dropshipping, that'd be really useful because I know the the version of dropshipping that I know of. I feel like has a bit of a bad reputation. A hundred percent. So yeah, what's what's your take on it? Yeah, I think everyone thinks of dropshipping that way. And it's because the rise of, of, you know, social media and the guru standing next to his rented Lambo telling you he made a million dollars last month in, in revenue, of course, and selling all of these widgets from AliExpress, right? So if you've heard of it, you've probably heard of that method, selling products that you found on AliExpress selling them on a social media channel, interrupting someone's feed, showing them this really cool product that'll show up 40 days from now in a heavily taped box, smell like a warehouse. And, uh, you know, it's not going to be that good a product in the end, right? But what what people don't realize is dropshipping has been around for a very long time. And it's not dropshipping from China, dropshipping from manufacturers you've definitely heard of or businesses in the United States or in your local country. That's been around since the internet's been around. It's still around today. And it's it's how a large chunk of the internet still operates. So a good example of this is, Wayfair.com. So Wayfair used to be hundreds of different tiny little niche sites. They came together to be Wayfair and they were all dropshipping. And that's the method of dropshipping we teach. We we want you to stay in high ticket and I can get into why if you want to, but we want you to stay in high ticket and we want you to sell brands you've definitely heard of. So I think once you wrap your head around the fact that that's how Wayfair started and that, like if you just go to their menu and see each one of their little sub menus, like that could be its own business you kind of get your head wrapped around, oh, I'm, I, I could actually build a real business here that relies on traffic from people who are already looking for these products rather than trying to interrupt them while they're looking at grandma's dinner or what their buddies did at the bar last weekend and trying to get them to buy some product and make them interested. It's it's demand capture rather than demand generation. Okay, so you don't really touch on like Facebook ads and things like that. It is, like you said earlier, PPC, SEO, 
it's yeah what people are searching for yeah people are already looking for these products right so a good example i like to use a business i was part of standing destination if you go to standingdestination.com you'll see all the brands in the standing desk space i, I see you will standing at a standing desk right now we like yeah. you probably sold the brand you're standing at and so like it's very easy to get in front of customers who are already looking for these products and provide them information you can't go to amazon and say hey i've got a 30 inch desk and I've got two monitors, what's gonna fit on my desk for a standing desk converter? Amazon's not gonna tell you any of that stuff, right? You might find it in the description, but wouldn't you rather go to a site who can give you all that information, find you what you need, provide you resources around that? Most people would prefer to shop at those places or at least go learn at those places. And, and I'm sure some of them still end up at Amazon to purchase, but like there's a need in the marketplace for somebody being the authority here. And that's, that's exactly what we teach. Sell a product from vendors everyone's definitely heard of and become an authority in that space. Yeah, awesome. So why why high ticket? And yeah, how so, when when you say high ticket, how high ticket are we talking? Well, I think low ticket is, you know, one, two hundred and under. Certainly, you know, the the value of your dollar is less nowadays, right? And so that might even creep up into the three hundred dollar range. And then I think there's this no man's land of like three hundred to eight hundred, we'll call it, where it's not necessarily low ticket, but it's not high ticket. Uh, and then I think 800 and above is the sweet spot for high ticket. In fact, one of my best selling products of all time is right around $8,000. And it was quite easy to sell if I'm honest. And here's here, like, I want you to think about this math, right? So if you wanted to do 30,000 in revenue this month, and you were selling a $30 low ticket product, you need to sell a 1000 of those items. Now, if you were selling a high ticket product, that was 3000, you only need 10 orders. And I'm telling you right now, they're just as easy of a sale to get. But when I have 10 orders, and you have a 1000 will, how many employees do I need to process 10 orders versus the thousand you have? How many damages and returns are you going to have in a thousand orders versus the 10 I have or customer service issues? And then let alone just the less overhead, less risk, right? And so I, this is why I think high ticket is superior. There's just, there's more room to be had to go acquire a customer. If you sell a $3,000 item with 30% margins, that's $900 in profit of which you need to take some of that to ship the product and go acquire a customer. And there's still going to be some left over where a $30 product you might have $10 of margin to go acquire a customer and ship it out and, and make any money at all. Yeah, it makes sense, really. In terms of like drop shipping versus e-commerce, are there any differences? Because obviously the same would apply to, to just any kind of D2C business, really. The, the higher the value you could sell at, the, the easier life is going to be for you. But is there any kind of drop shipping specific benefit, which is, you know, that you would say go, go for high ticket? Yeah, I think. Cash flow is the answer there, right? So anybody listening to this who has their own e-commerce brand, they understand that the cash conversion cycle sucks. You, you like, let's say you start with a thousand units and you sold five hundred. Now you need to go buy more, right? Maybe maybe you move up to five thousand, right? Where are you going to get that cash to buy those five thousand? It's going to take everything you had from those first five hundred to buy the next five thousand. And then as you start increasing sales velocity, you got to buy more and then buy more and buy. There's never a chance where you actually catch up, right? That's why there's so many debt services out there. And every e-commerce owner who's listening to this, who makes money, we're mostly making money on paper and it's a frustrating game. And so in drop shipping, there is no overhead. There is no product to buy. We don't actually buy the product. I don't, I don't, I'm standing, you know, sitting at a standing desk right now. When I sold this, I didn't have to go buy it until you bought it. Will, when you came to my site and you purchased it, I go, then go to the vendor, pay them with my nice rewards card, of course, and then pay that back when Shopify deposits the money into my account. So there's no, there's no overhead. There's no risk. I don't have to continue buying product up front and hoping I can sell it. And there's already demand in the marketplace. I don't have to go generate that demand, which you do with a DTC band. You have to, you have to go create demand in the marketplace where these brands have already done so. And now you're simply a retailer of these brands. Yeah. So you, you know, you just mentioned going off and buying something with your, your credit card. Do you have, you know, when you're, when you're setting up dropshipping businesses, do you work with these brands as a dropshipping partner? 
or are you literally just saying we're going to go buy it from them and then yeah no you're, you're working with them as a retailer right so as yeah. you're doing this research saying hey i want to sell infrared saunas you're going to go to google go find the brands that are already selling infrared saunas and then just reach out to them directly and say hey i'd love to become a retailer for your product here's the business i'm building i think we can move some product for you and and you set up a dealer agreement with them yeah. Okay. Cool. When we when we spoke before the podcast, I think we talked a little bit about. Well, I, I gave the example that I bought a radiator and a valve from a, a retailer here, but the radiator was shipped directly from the the manufacturer. So it, essentially, they were drop shipping the the radiator and selling me the the valve directly. I, I'm guessing w- what you do mainly is is pure drop shipping, right? So you don't have any product yourself. Yeah. That's. That's where I would start, right? And the, the reason you can start there is because you can start for less than 500 bucks and just get rolling, right? And, and get sales coming in. But at some point, people are going to want the accessories that come with the high ticket items. So you're either going to need to break even or possibly even lose a few bucks on drop shipping those small items with the big product, or especially if you sell them alone, or bring them in house and start shipping them on your own or use a 3PL. And then on top of that, you can do some cool things here, right? So when the, the $8,000 product I was speaking of, we rank number one and number two for the main keyword for that that niche, right? And so we were getting a lot of traffic, getting a lot of sales and selling everyone else's product. We started to understand what the customer needed that wasn't available in the market. So we simply created it. And then guess who's number one on that list when we're ranking number one and number two for best you know, niche product of 2022, we're number one, right? Because we, we know we made the best product and we have access to put ourselves as number one. And so that's one angle as well as withstanding destination. We went and acquired one of the brands that we were carrying there. We, we went and purchased a brand from a billion dollar brand that was kind of cutting their standing desk brand. We went and purchased that brand and then we went and acquired a standing desk treadmill brand as well and put it under that brand uh as well so like there's a lot of room to scale here but the biggest benefit is you know the 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 lower risk starting out because it's just all hustle at that point can you go acquire sales profitably and cash flow and then spin that into building out your brand yeah okay so how do you go about deciding what to what to sell yeah i think this is a John, so John's my business partner. We've definitely argued about this on our podcast. If you enjoy an American and Australian bickering about this, go check out Dropship Podcast. But like, we have different opinions, right? So he wants to definitely use as many numbers as possible, and he doesn't care whether he cares or not about selling the product. Where I, I differ, right? You're going to wake up every single day and have to do something in this business to move it forward every single day. If you don't move it forward, it's going to start moving backwards, right? Now, what what is going to be easier? Like, I love baseball. So if I had a baseball-themed store, am I going to wake up and, like, want to work on that business more than I would, you know, at one point I sold composting toilets. I don't really care about composting toilets, nor do I really care to interact with the people who buy those. Where baseball customers, I'm going to want to talk to them, right? I'm going to know where they hang out. I'm going to know the channels they surf on YouTube or the blogs that they, they uh, frequent. I'm going to know the language they use, which is going to make my copywriting much, much easier in my business so I can speak their language and the ads I write and things like that. And so I encourage people to think about something that they actually enjoy. Think about a more so think about the customer they want to serve. So products are kind of secondary to who do you want to serve here? And if you can go find the person you want to serve, then you can find the products they're purchasing and then you can build a business around that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. I think, yes, it's same with any business, right? If you're not passionate about it, it's, it's going to be a bit of a drag every day. So you you, you, know, you can do it, right? It's I've done it yeah. before. The first business I ever owned was the 3dprinterguy.com. I've never seen a 3D printer in person in my entire life, but I made it work, right? I just, uh, you know, I hustled through it to to make it work. Yeah. And I guess kind of coming back to the idea of owning owning some products and, and dropshipping others, would you tend to dropship like either the primary product or supporting products? 
I suppose with high ticket value, it's always going to be the, the, the primary product, really. Yeah, and I've, I've done both, right? So like, there's nothing wrong with you dropshipping everything. If someone saw so you, you know, I own a pellet grill site, right? The pellet grills, there was obviously a lot of room to sell a pellet grill and have margin there because they're high ticket, but people also want to buy the pellets, which are like $30 a bag. They're heavy. And so I would sell pellets on their own and have to drop ship them. And I didn't make any money. I, I might make 30 cents, I think every time I sold a bag, but like that was the cost of doing business. So I think like having the ability to drop shipping in the beginning allows you to build out an authority site and sell everything. And at some point, if you want to like increase your margins, then then that's when you're going to have to start solving other problems of either getting a 3PL or, you know, getting some warehouse space. I'm, you know, I'm in one sitting behind me that I wasn't always in. At some point you have to, you know, decide, do I want to keep this as a lifestyle business where I can make a few thousand bucks a month and not have a team? Or do I want to start scaling and have a bit of a team and a bit of a warehouse and or a 3PL and, you know, grow this into a bigger business? Yeah. So do you, do you think in order to make it a like a serious business, do you have to scale it to that point where you, you probably are owning some products, you are you have your own 3PL and you're not just drop shipping? Give me your definition of serious business because I can give you a bunch of examples of of different tiers people are on currently and, and they're all pretty happy. We, you said a lifestyle business earning a few thousand a month. So let's say if you wanted to earn let's a hundred thousand a month or a million a year, something like that level, you know, still yeah. not a massive business, but you know, getting to that point where there's probably a few bits to manage and it's, it might get a bit tough for one person. I, I don't know. Yeah. So I've seen people, we'll, we'll talk revenue, right? Cause most businesses are going to bring home 15, 20% a bottom line if they're running a, a good business. Right. And so if you're at a, you know, a million in revenue, you can have a pretty healthy business there by yourself. You don't really need a whole lot of teams. You might have some VAs helping you with some things. If you want to take it to eight figures, then you're going to need a team, right? So the business that I was part of that we went to eight figures, we had to go get a warehouse. We had a team of of 10 to 15 employees and they've only scaled since there, right? COVID, COVID did what COVID did to everyone's business for them and, and they had to expand their warehouse and get more people. And so I don't think there's a wrong answer here. I know plenty of people who are students or our peers who are at that $100,000 a month range and they're happy. Like that's what you should be shooting for here. Or if you want to shoot for something bigger and have this big exit and kind of be done, you can do that too. I don't think there's a wrong answer here and it's certainly going to be different for everyone listening to this. I suppose speaking of exits, is there a a significant impact on that on evaluation if you're drop shipping? Yeah. So it actually goes up, right? If it, a lot okay. of people, you know, Amazon FBA is super popular, right? If you have an Amazon only business, you're, you're actually only getting, you know, two and a half X, right? Three X. If you're lucky with these drop shipping businesses, likely you have more than just one channel of incoming. You've built a brand. You probably have some SEO going. You're selling multiple brands. You have variety in the, in the products that are selling on, on your business. And so you can go to empire flippers right now or quiet light and you'll see they're getting four or five, six X multiples on their profit you know, they're, they're trailing 12 months profit and, and people are excited to buy these businesses again, because this has been around for a very long time. This is a, a business model that while recently in the last few years, has gotten a lot of hype around the AliExpress stuff, you know, building a real business here that's been around a long time. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. How'd you go about selecting a dropshipping partner? Man, this is a, it's a deep question. So when you say partner, you're talking like me and you team up and, and build a business, right? Yeah. Essentially that, but also the company that you want to, Dropship from, yeah. Got so it. let's right. say so you, you, you go into like, 
the first part I'll address first. Like a lot of people do this together. I've had partners too. Dude, treat it like a marriage. You're literally getting married to somebody and you should get divorced while you're getting married. You should ha- you should build out the documents of what it looks like for one of you two to step away or be pushed out if that's the case before you ever come together. So I've had some bad partnerships. Maybe you can tell by the way I'm talking about this, but I've had some great ones too. And so I thought that's where you were going. We can go there if you want to. But the other side, like actually picking the brands, it's pretty simple. Go see who the brands are in the market and reach out to them. Like, I don't think there's a... In the beginning, I don't think there's a job for you to curate the marketplace, right? Like you should reach out to all of the brands and attempt to sell them. Like you probably don't know a lot about the industry or if you do, then you can kind of curate and say, I'd like to sell this brand, but I know this brand is not the greatest brand and maybe I don't want to put them on my site. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with just spray and pray in the beginning. Just go get every brand you can possibly get. And then from there, you're going to see what's selling, what your customers are asking for, what they love, what they don't love. And you can kind of curate from there. There is a few brands certainly that are like solely DTC. They don't want anyone retailing for you. And so you might not be able to get those. Veridesk was a good example at Standing Destination. Nobody sells Veridesk, but Veridesk. In fact, the the keyword Veridesk is searched more than the word Standing Desk, which is pretty amazing as a DTC brand. And so, you know, we couldn't carry them, but we could carry many, many other brands who we believe actually made a better product. And so that made sense for us anyway. Yeah. Okay. I had a little follow up on that. Do you find that when, when contacting brands, do, do you get many who basically have no idea what you're talking about when you get in touch and you, and you have to kind of pitch the actual offering to them? Yeah, not so much in America. We do have quite a few students uh, abroad in our course. And so I would say, you know, again, my business partner is Australian. He's got a lot of experience in this. In Australia, it's, it, it is less known. And so you do kind of have to pitch them and explain, you know, I'm going to sell this product when I sell one, I'm going to pay you and you're going to ship it to the customer on my behalf. And we're going to work out some sort of agreement where, you know, I'm a dealer for you. So I get X, X amount off of the purchase when we had purchases from you. So in other countries, yes, you're going to need to explain this in America, less so people know what you're talking about, but I wouldn't come at it that way. Like they're getting calls from every Joe bag of donuts who just watched a TikTok video from some guy telling them how to do this. And they're getting bombarded here in America, right? So I would like, we recommend actually build your site first, go put some of their products from the brand you're calling, put them on your site, build out a collection page and call them and say, Hey, this is how I'm going to represent your brand. This is how I'm going to sell your products. Here's how we're going to position you in the marketplace. I'm actually building a real business here. I'm not going to go sell this on eBay or Amazon or any other third party site. I actually want to build a real business here. And that's going to get you past the gatekeeper, where then you can bring up the dropshipping side of thing. I don't think you need to bring up that word. You can just speak as a retailer. I want to become a retailer for your products. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a, a word that they they understand, they probably work with already, and isn't a kind of potential danger word, which they I suppose maybe some people view dropshipping as because it's 100%. that quality control, isn't it? Yeah, I just I think they're getting bombarded with calls, right? The reps that I have a personal relationship with, they're they're saying, you know, I'm getting half a dozen to a dozen calls a day. So you can imagine wow. how much that wears on someone, especially when it's not their business. They're just an employee at a business, right? And like if you've ever been an employee, you know that most days are not great days, right? Some days are good. And so you can imagine when you're in a bad mood and you've gotten the seventh call of the day from Joe Bag of Donuts saying, oh, I want to sell your shit on eBay. I saw this TikTok or what, you know what I mean? Or just like the same script that they learned from some course, like it's probably going to get annoying quickly. Yeah. Okay. So I suppose getting into the drop shipping, if you wanted to get started, what are your your kind of top tips? Yeah, I think, look, first off, you're going to need to decide the market you want to get into, right? And so John and I are developing something right now, trying to like help people with this. We do have a webinar on our website if you want to go watch it that kind of walks you through, here's how to pick, here's how to find your suppliers. 
I recommend anyone listening to this, if you're thinking about it, like just start with a touch point test, pull out your iPhone or a notepad. If you're still a notepad person and just everything you see throughout the next week, that is above $1,000, just notate it. Right. I think you'll start seeing things beyond the typical ideas. A lot of people like e-bikes are popular. I'm going to jump into e-bikes. Well, start thinking what actually means something to you and like what you see on a daily basis that is above $1,000 and just observe. Don't, don't, don't place any judgment. Don't make any decisions. Just observe. And you'll start like, you know, your reticular activation system will start working on your behalf and you'll start seeing things everywhere. And then you'll start building up this database of ideas. And then you can say, Hey, you know, I, I really, I, I really enjoy the movement side of things. Maybe I want to get into standing desk or I don't really like 3d printers. And so I'm going to toss that idea out. Right. And so I, I would encourage everyone to start with the touch point test. And then from there, then you can start doing some research. Again, we get deeper into this in that webinar, just kind of looking, here's the metrics you want. Here's how many, here's how many is too many competitors. Here's how many is not enough competitors. Here's how many is, you know, enough brands to get started here. So here's, if there's only two brands in this like marketplace, maybe that's not the best idea for you. And so, um, it, the beginning though is that touch point just like become aware that people are buying products over a thousand dollars daily and and often yeah so just look out yeah take note of the things that you notice because you're you're probably searching them for them for a reason or i don't know it might be an advert that you just happen to notice and if you're noticing it it's probably more your thing um, yeah, I think you'll just start seeing a lot more than you. Th Usually when I pitch this idea to someone who's never heard of it before, they're like, who's buying stuff over a thousand? Like it's happening all the time everywhere. And, you know, just observing what's around you, you'll start again, that reticular activation system. Your brain is a powerful, powerful thing if you just point in the right direction. So if you just tell your brain, hey, I want to start being aware of these things, you're going to start seeing them everywhere. And and then you'll start populating a bunch of ideas and go, oh, you know, I could sell it. What would selling that look like? What, what would a business look like selling these products or selling more importantly to the human behind them, who's actually buying these products? Yeah. Yeah. So what next? Once you've, once you've found that product yeah, and, I think, and look, potentially found a supplier as well. Yeah. We, 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 our most popular podcast is this little pitch here. You can start for less than 500 bucks in 30 days or less. And here's how, right? So you're going to need a domain, which is 12 bucks. I use Namecheap, use whatever you want. Uh, you're going to need Shopify, which is $29. You may need a paid theme on Shopify. I don't think you do. We give away a free one to our students if you join our course, but it's $180 to $300, $400, depending on what theme you buy. I don't think you need a paid theme, but if you want one, great. You're going to need Google Workspace. So you're going to need, you know, my name's Ben, right? I'm going to need Ben at the domain I just bought. So you look professional, not, not BK at gmail.com as your support email. You're going to need an 800 phone number in the United States. You can use Grasshopper. That's $40 a month. You're probably going to need some branding on your website. And that might cost you $25, $50 on, on Fiverr. And then from there, you're, you're simply going to go find the brands in your industry, reach out to them about becoming a retailer. Like you're going to have this site built already, right? Reach out to them. When they give you approval, you're going to upload the products on your site run a, a feed over to Google and you're going to run Google ads to acquire your first customers running a, hopefully a three tier funnel. Don't run any of their performance max stuff, run on the keywords you want to in shopping, run a three tier funnel in, in shopping and you spend 150, Google will give you 150 or you spend 500, Google will match your 500. One of those two coupons will be available to you in the beginning. And you should, if you've done things the right way, make a sale or two or three on that first 150, on that first $500. And from there, you can roll that profit back in and just keep building, right? Just contact more brands, upload more products, start building out content around those products and just start building. Uh, I'm going to touch on a very specific point you made. You mentioned getting a phone number. Why? Have you ever been to a website that doesn't have a phone number? I have. Yeah. And then you okay. sent them an email and they're like, we answer emails in 72 hours or less. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, are you interested in a product 72 hours later? Probably not. Right. Especially that low ticket shit. You're laying in bed 
swipe it on your phone and you're like, I kind of want to buy this right now, but I have a question and nobody can even answer your email. Like a, a, a customer service is paramount. You're in the, you're in yeah. the, you're in the acquisition game and you're in the customer service game when you're high ticket drop shipping. So you better have a phone number up there and you better answer your phone. Like if someone's calling, there's a good chance they're ready to buy. They just have a couple of questions. Yeah. So pick up, pick up your phone, answer their questions and close the deal. Or in my, again, going back way back to the beginning, the 3d printer guy.com, I set up a voicemail, I hired a guy in fiber for 20 bucks to say, thanks for calling the 3d printer guy.com. All of our representatives, blah, blah. Then they'd ask their question and I didn't know the answer because I don't know shit about 3d printers. And I'd go to Google and I'd Google the answer and then I'd call them back and answer their question for them and then close the sale. Right. And so it's a real opportunity for you to stand out in the marketplace. You can't call Amazon and ask them questions about your standing desk, but you can call standingdestination.com and get an answer. Yeah, cool. No, that's exactly the answer I wanted and was hoping. I, I just wasn't sure if it was some sort of like regulatory thing or whatever. Like you've got to have a, you've got to have a, a published phone number. But no, that's exactly it. It's, it's something we've been, I've been looking at with some clients as well. In, in fact, we've just, we've just added the phone number of a client to, to their website and we're testing removing it just to see what the, what the real impact of it is. So, cause I've had feedback from customers of clients, which is just that. They want to see a phone number on a website before they're a customer. They don't might not need to call you, might not have, have an actual need to, but they if they see that phone number, it's just a little added benefit. It's that little bit of proof that you're probably a, a more legit business. And when you're selling these higher dollar items, you'll often find in, in our businesses that people call and they don't even have a question. They're just like, I just wanted to see if you were a real business before I spent two, four, five thousand $5,000 with you. It's as simple as that, right? And then you might have a little chuckle and build a nice little relationship there and process the order for them. And it's as simple as it is. I would say a few times a month, we get a call of just, hey, just wanted to make sure you were real. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Cool. What about a mistake? What are the kind of big, most common mistakes you see, big mistakes to avoid? Yeah, I don't think it's big mistake, right? The biggest mistake is people quit. That's the only way you're going to fail in business is just stopping. And maybe, look, maybe some people just aren't good at it and they should stop. But I don't, I don't see that to be the case. If you've made the decision that you want to be an entrepreneur, go pivot, pivot, pivot until you figure it out. Like it, it usually is someone quitting or letting their own BS, which boils up in entrepreneurship for all of us, our own limiting beliefs boil up and you let them get the best of you and you stop, right? So that's the biggest one. The other one specifically to this business model is relying on ads for too long. Google is a fantastic channel. Google shopping, Google text ads, Bing. Bing is a great channel, believe it or not. That's great. You're going to get some sales there, but if you don't start diversifying, What's going to happen, right? Ad costs are only going to continue to rise. There's only going to be more competition. And so this is where my love for SEO started happening was like I needed to diversify more than ads. And, and I really leaned into SEO and then SEO became the, you know, the biggest channel in any business I've ever been a part of. It's, it's just, there's so much more traffic out there than having to go buy these ads. So I think that's one of the biggest mistakes in this business model is people rely on ads for too long. Ads can scale you to, you know, seven figure store in a year, but scaling beyond there, you're going to have to open up other channels. Yeah, yeah, I think it makes sense. And it's like what you mentioned at the start. In fact, you've mentioned it a few times, right? Like you can't you can't phone Amazon for an answer to a question. Right. If you're solely running paid ads, then you can't it's it's difficult to come across as the expert business in this in this category because you haven't got content. So people can't browse your website for the guide on on how to use this product or or comparison guides or or whatever. So yeah, I think that that content not only helps bring people in, but it's just answers people's questions. It, you know, deals with those, those concerns and it gives you that longer term. What's it like? It helps you target those longer, longer sales cycle people. Sure. Yeah. Terrible way of putting it, but yeah, you know what I mean? Top of the funnel. Top of the funnel. Yeah. You know, people who, 
I mean, even like, so I, I bought this standing desk, probably took me a couple of months to actually find something that I wanted. And actually, in the meantime, I bought a, you know, one of those standing desks that sits on top of a normal desk. Yeah, converter, yeah. Yeah, like a converter. So I bought one of those, um, had a nightmare with that, but that was just to do with my setup and I knew that. But I liked the idea of the standing desk. You know, when I started using it, I was like, yeah, I'm really enjoying this. This is great. So I'm happy to return this to Amazon for free because, you know, it's it's within that, well, it's Amazon. So, you know, it's within the 30 days and then I'm just going to buy the actual standing desk that I want now. So it was like a, I used that as a cheaper like test, but, but the point is like, I, I didn't really know the difference. I didn't know anything about standing desks. Yeah. Some, some information would have been helpful about what I, what I really needed, you know, especially things like the difference between electric and like hand crank, like manual ones, right? What, What is the difference? Like what's the, what are the pros and cons of each, right? If you can't find the answer to that question, it makes it a bit more difficult uh, to make that purchase. You're making SEO sound really easy and the internet makes it sound really hard, but that's exactly what it is. Just answer these questions. The easiest way to find this, and I know you have a, a, a question around tools later on, is go to answerthepublic.com, type in standing desk and hit enter. Wait 30 seconds. It'll populate every question that is searched around standing desk. And you're going to find some commonalities there. You're going to find a customer journey inside of there in the questions they're asking. You're going to find top of the funnel questions on like what you just said, do I need a standing desk or a standing desk converter? What's the difference between the two? You're going to find someone who's already determined they want a standing desk, but not a converter. But you know, do I want electric? Do I want crank? And then you're going to find people who are actually like comparing brands of standing desk too, Veridesk versus FlexiSpot, for instance. And so throughout that entire journey, that's your, that's your content, right? People are searching this for a reason. The SEO side of it is just doing what Google wants. Like make sure your keywords, the H one, make sure the keywords front loaded in the URL, hit some supporting keywords along the way, make sure your headlines are not links, things like, like there's a lot of very specific things you can do inside of there. But the, the, the origin of all of it is just simply helping the customer you're trying to serve. I think too often we spend time looking at clicks and looking at metrics rather than thinking about the human who's purchasing from you and the problems that they have. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I, my specialty is CRO conversion rate optimization, and this is all about what are the questions and concerns a customer has? And then the other part of it is kind of motivating people, making them excited, you know, seeing the benefit of, of the product, like a standing desk, for example. But yeah, the majority of it is what question, when people land on my website, what questions are they asking themselves about my products? And am I actually answering those questions? I had, um, a discussion with someone the other day, actually about, about that stuff. What we said was, Quite often with, with a lot of products, there tends to be one question, which is an absolute question for that, that person or concern for that person. And if the answer is no, they won't buy. And if the answer is not there, they won't buy because they need the answer to that question to make the purchase. Plenty of others where they'd say, okay, I'm not too sure on this, but I might be willing to take the chance or it's not exactly what I want, but fine, whatever. But they, Quite often, there's that one question which has to be answered. It has to be answered correctly. Otherwise, they're not going to buy. So yeah, ideally, it needs to be on the product pages. But if you've got that supporting content as well, especially if that's bringing people in. Yeah, I think there's two different types. And high ticket makes this easier, right? So the one that works for DTC brands or this thing is like talk about 
the niche itself, right? So I sell pet supplements. So you can imagine I'm going to talk about what glucosamine does for dogs. Is glucosamine safe for dogs? Like this is high level content, right? And you can do this in any industry you're in. Stan, I guess we just talked about that. The beauty of high ticket dropshipping is like the whole next part of the journey is done for you as well. The bottom of the funnel is done. People already are aware of brands. And so you can rank collection pages. Now people are comparing brands. And so you can create an article that is brand A versus brand B. And not a lot of people are putting out that content. And so you're going to rank for that quite easily and drive lower in the funnel traffic that you can then push to your collection pages, which is going to help them rank more, push them to products, things like that. And then even further down the funnel, people are comparing products. So brand A, product A versus brand B, product B. Those are keywords that you know, Ahrefs might tell you has 10 searches a month. Those 10 people are ready to fucking buy. Get out there and create that content. And that's great remarketing material as well. And then even further than that, some of the best pages I've ever created is like a brand has three products and people are searching product A versus product B. Like they're very similar, right? They may call one the, the A10 and the next one called the A12 and the next one called the A15. And people are searching a brand A10 versus A12. Uh, Ahrefs told me there was zero searches a month for one keyword just like this, and that became the best page. It had 7,000 clicks the next month after we created it because no one was there. No one was answering this question that seemed so obvious. Like, what is the difference between these two models? And so the beauty of high ticket is like a lot of those questions are out there for you. These brands are established, and so now you just need to go find the gaps in the marketplace. Yeah, and especially if you are the one selling all those products as well. Correct. Like if you have brand A, brand B, brand C, yeah, you can do that comparison because – you're not you, you're not saying one is better than the other like absolutely better than the other necessarily you're saying it's better for you for your requirements yeah this is actually the product that fits your your requirements stand too right like the the world doesn't need someone to say everything's great the world needs you to take a position and like that's how you build an audience is be polarizing so do you believe one of those brands is actually better turns out probably one of them is better one of them actually cares more like you know yeah. help people with sauna content and the EMF and some of the infrared saunas is not great. They don't have great studies. They claim to. And other ones, they've done multiple studies and have lower EMF than the other brands. Are we going to say that? Of course we're going to say that, right? We're not going to tell them, you know, this cheaper one is about the same as the the more expensive one. It's not, right? And so, like, be honest in your content and, and direct people. Like, if you actually truly care about your customer and you better, send them to the thing that's going to be best for them. Like, you're helping provide them value by sending them to the better version, whether that's less expensive or more expensive. It doesn't matter. Send them where they belong. It's it's transparency, isn't it? Give give them the information, put the comparison, give them everything they need to make the decision, whether that's the product they've landed on or they decide to move to a different one because you've said, well, actually, you know, this one one might be twenty percent more expensive, but it's you know, if we're talking about saunas, it's got room for more people or something. So it's you know that meets that person's requirements, they go, well, actually, yeah, I have to spend 20% more. All this stuff but is fantastic for remarketing too, right? So like anybody, like think about what's the standard conversion rate in e-commerce, 2%. So that means 100 people came to your product page, 98 people raised their hand and said, I'm interested in this, and then fucking walked out the door because you didn't help them. So you better be using all of this content to remarket it. You didn't answer a question for them, but I bet you did in this content. And so use this as your remarketing material and find it, you know, start positioning it to your probably four or five different avatars and then send them four or five different pieces of content over 25 days and mix that up. And one of those pieces is going to land for them. And they're going to be like, that's the question I needed. And then they're going to come back and purchase. Yeah. There's always, there's got to be some sort of interest level, unless someone has accidentally clicked on a link and landed on your website, there is some sort of interest from them. So yeah, you've just got to, you just got to work out what that interest was and, and target it just back on the comparisons quickly. It's something Amazon does really well for a lot of products. In fact, the the earbuds I've got in now, I so I lost one of my 
previous set went back to buy them and obviously it's got that whole amazon has that you know there's a newer model of this that's been released so i clicked on that scrolled down to the comparison table and then bought a different model again big and and in that case it's all it was all the same brand on there as well it wasn't saying this brand's better than this brand whatever it was just here's the p1 p2 p3 p3i with all the information and i thought oh yeah that's 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 the one i want right and it's i think people get worried about doing that a little bit worried about confusing people or i don't know or or, or just don't think of it don't think of comparing their own products you know there's, there's plenty of brands out there that have different models that do very similar things and it's going to be more appropriate for some people than others it's taught a lot by marketing gurus to give only only have one option on the page like don't give them another option to go to but like how often do you lay in bed and do a little research and click around and like look into the right like we're we're not robots and yeah i don't subscribe to that method of marketing either like uh, you know i sell multiple different types of glucosamine i send you to a page that shows you this one's for big dogs this one's for small dog like here's the differences between them here's the dosage difference here's the cost difference like why wouldn't you show the the customer that and give them options yeah i mean i i, I get the the argument that you shouldn't put kind of distractions in front of people so well you're the cro guy maybe you have a different opinion here i mean so so what i wouldn't do is say you know if you're looking at a dog supplement have a recommended product which is a dog toy for example and saying oh you might be interested in this as well because that's a completely different mindset for the person it's you know they they haven't come to the website with that in mind you might distract them with the toy and then they might not buy either but yeah what does work is this is appropriate for this use case this is appropriate for that use case because you're always going to have the the situation where someone comes through to the wrong page by by accident or you know google puts the wrong link in front of them for some reason you no know, if i if i search for it could even be um you know pets dog supplements for golden retrievers right that's the dog i've got and i might for some reason i might land on a page which is for like medium sized dogs because that brand has decided a golden retriever is a medium sized dog i would say is a large dog and then that you know if i can see those differences and i guess in that case you would say it's for dogs who weigh this amount that's the the kind of standard way of doing it and that's that's the bit of information that would allow me to make that decision on which products actually the right one so we do this on a collection page but I'm over here literally taking notes of like this is fantastic little piece of content that we should have on every product page of like hey do you have a smaller dog than this do you have a bigger dog than this do you have a dog who's allergic to shellfish check out these other products like this is a no brainer thank you so much for this little tip I appreciate it <laughs> Well it just it actually reminded me so my my friend who lives up the road he's he's got a dog who is smaller than my dog you know I maybe not half the size a third of the size so two thirds the size they took him to the groomers and they walked in and the groom said, "No, can't. We don't. We don't accept large dogs." And we're all like, "What? This isn't. This is not a large dog. Like anyone could pick this dog up. All right, it's a fairly big dog to pick up, but he's not not a large dog. I mean, what does that make my dog? Does it make it an extra large dog? Like then we're talking what they call Doberman. Is that the massive? Is that the absolute massive one? Yeah, like my dog's not mastiff. Yeah, mastiffs. Like my dog's not that big. So." That's why I think using things like weight as that as that defining piece of information really helps because you know how much your dog weighs, or probably like roughly. So that's you know, instead of saying it's a small, medium, large dog, you're saying, well, my dog weighs forty kilos. 
which which category does he fit in according to you the brand yeah no you're generating a million ideas over here for me so i'm just over here taking notes man it's amazing it's kind of smart, um, folks if you're listening to this you know that. thanks anything else you want to add about drop shipping before we, we uh, finish up no nah, man i just I, I really want people to get started and i i love this business model because you can start for 500 bucks in 30 days or less and you're gonna learn marketing in the process while you cash flow right so if you go to college we all know how expensive college is, right? Maybe it's different in, in your country, wherever you're at, but in America, it's unbelievably expensive due to subsidies and things like that. And like to go learn that stuff is hard. Like I would recommend just go do it. So while you create this business, you're going to have to learn Google ads. You're going to have to learn SEO. You're going to have to learn conversion rate optimization. You're going to have to learn copywriting. You're going to have to learn how to code a little bit to understand the back end of Shopify and put some things in there. And hopefully you're doing this all well getting paid to learn this stuff, right? And all of those skills are transferable. I know plenty of people who started in high ticket dropshipping, they had a success, maybe they sold a small store and now they do different things. My friend Isaac runs a bookkeeping company for high ticket dropshippers. My friend Karina runs all of social media, all of our organic social for us on many of my different brands and many of our students' brands. Like that's where she pivoted. And so like, I would recommend do this, make some cash, learn some skills, find out what you do like, what you don't like. Maybe you're really, really, really good at SEO and you don't really like any of the other stuff. Well then you know, go provide that service to other people. Like, I think this is a great jumping off point for a lot of people who know they want to do something, know they want to get out of their job, which look, I've been there, man, I get it. Um, but they don't know where to start. And they, you know, they worry about the financial side of things where I, I really truly believe this is the easiest, fastest, cheapest business model with the most upside, most bang for your buck. And, and like I said, you're going to learn some skills along the way, which are invaluable. Yeah. I think I might have to, uh, to give it a go myself. I've been wanting to run an e-com store for for a little while. It's just identifying that product and the two or three that I've looked into, you know, we're, we're talking five to 10,000 to get started because that's, that's how much the stock is going to cost. So obviously you can start, you know, do some pre-selling and stuff, but it's still, it's a pretty big commitment. To go for was yeah well, the, drop again, shipping. That's why I like drop shipping better. You can do this low ticket too. You could buy the junky stuff from AliExpress and and sell it and just see what your customers actually like, and then move into branding from there. But that's still going to take an investment one way or another. Where I think you can, you know, I've I've built and sold many of these businesses where I never had my own product. We just sold other people's stuff and built a you know an REI if you will, like a, a place where people can come and buy all the products you need in one genre and been a resource and then sold that. Or you can then learn what you've learned from there and then introduce your own products when you have cash flow, when you have reserves, when you already know what the customer wants and you can come out with the best product on the market and already have the traffic for it. So there's a lot of options here for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So just a couple of questions before you finish. Is there anyone in the marketing space that you'd want to sit down for lunch with? Marketing, yeah. e-com, a brand. Yeah. yeah, I think when you you first told me to think about this question, you said direct to consumer. So my brain from that question went to Taylor Holiday. He runs a Common Thread Co., YourAdmission.co. And I only said that because he's a good buddy of mine who I haven't seen in a while. During COVID, we started playing poker together, got a bunch of random people to come together. You know, Ezra Firestone sat down with us and played cards and just Taylor's an awesome dude and I kind of miss him. So that was my answer there. But if you're talking <laughs> just marketing, man, I don't even know if it's marketing. It's just like, you know, entrepreneur. Like I'd love to sit down for an hour with Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or, or Mark Cuban or just any of those people who have really taken themselves to the, the top of the top. And just, I, I would love to just be with like, I don't know how to say this, like get a measure of someone. You know what I mean? Like, how do I stack up in a room with them? Do you know, how do they carry themselves? How do they respond to questions? How do they think about life? Like I, I would just want to absorb some of the way that they, they tackle the world and, and less so learn about marketing and just learn about being the best human I can be. Yeah. Mark Cuban's a good chap. Bit of a fan of him. 
It's yeah. not. I, I don't think he's big over here. You know, we, I think people know his name, but he's not as well known. I don't think marketing tools or just tools, business tools that you use. Anything you recommend? Anything a bit unusual, maybe? Yeah, I'm a bit of a keyword junkie, right? So we talked about one, answerthepublic.com. If if any of your listeners, whatever you sell, go to answerthepublic.com and put that generic word in there. So, you know, we sold standing desks, just type in standing desks. You sell saunas, type in the word sauna. I, I do drop shipping, high ticket drop shipping specifically, just put in drop shipping or high ticket drop shipping. Put in whatever your your genre keyword is, like your generic keyword, and watch Answer the Public give you every question that's ever been asked. It'll be the greatest tool you've ever used if you're looking for a way to build content. Beyond that, I love Ahrefs. I, it, what can you say? They they show you where to where to get links, where to track yourself. It's fantastic for SEO. But the biggest one I would say is is a free tool. It's Google. Like go to Google, whatever keyword you're you're looking to show for, go to Google and look at Google and see what exists already. And that's it. Like what is the intent of the keyword? So you build the right page and what is the customer, what answer is, is the customer looking for and just give them the answer. So those are my favorite tools. You know, a plugin would be like a keywords everywhere, Chrome extension. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, you, you might notice a trend here again. It's all like, I just yeah. love keywords. I love SEO. And so there's a whole roadmap of everything your customer wants to know and their journey to buying your product. Go find it and go solve that journey and, and give them what they need, whether they pay you or not. Just go go solve your customers' problems and magically they'll become your customers. Awesome. Great advice there. Well, that's it. Thank you so much. If anyone wants to get in touch, what's the best way of doing that? Yeah, if you're interested in what, what I talked about today, we have a podcast called Dropship Podcast. You can find it on any of your favorite players or dropshippodcast.com or YouTube. That's usually the best place. If you're listening to this, you're a podcast junkie like myself. And so go check it out. See if you like what we have to say over there. And, and wouldn't you know it, I did SEO. And so episode one is what is dropshipping? Episode two is what is high ticket dropshipping? Episode three is high ticket versus low ticket, right? So like we we built the whole journey in the podcast. I think that's why we've grown so fast. And so you know, go check it out. Started episode one, burn through them at 2X on a walk one day. You'll get to, you know, 10 episodes in before you know it and you you'll either love us or you'll hate us. I think that's the beauty of it, right? John's Australian, I'm American. We have a, you know, a few little bickering here and there about some of the values we carry or our country carries, I guess. And and so maybe you'll enjoy the bickering, maybe you won't, but uh, check out the podcast, see what you think. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Ben. Well, that was interesting. I'm definitely more knowledgeable about dropshipping than I was at the start. It's not an area that I've been that I'm particularly familiar with. I was reminded of how much impact it can have to just have a telephone number and someone at the end of a phone, especially if you're a newer brand or less well known. It's quite reassuring for the customer. I've actually run some tests with clients myself where just just putting a phone number on the website raises conversion rate just a little bit. Some interesting parallels and differences there between dropshipping and more traditional e-commerce store. But one thing is clear, customers come to your website and generally have a specific question. Find out what that is and answer it, because if you don't communicate on that, they're going to leave. If you'd like to hear more from Ben or listen to his podcast, you can find him on LinkedIn or dropshipbreakthrough.com. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Harry Drajputch joining me, CEO of Amware. We'll be focusing on the importance of a beautiful fulfillment experience. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Oh, 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 oh,